quarantine up in Canada. Uh, she has to be quarantined two weeks, and so she's holding on to her sanity by a thread, just trying to get along. She has Ryder with her to keep her sane and try to <laughs> keep her grounded, but they got about four or five days. Ryder was feeling sick this morning, and so I think they're watching this morning, and so whatever camera you're on, Ryder, I hope you can feel better. We're praying for you, and uh, I'm glad that we have this technology today to be able to uh, not only get the Word of God out, but to stay connected with friends and family. It's been incredible, just 2020 has been an insane year, obviously. Um, Earlier, it was January, we really began to see a lot of momentum in the ministry there, just picking up. We were having visitors every Sunday, which in a Muslim-majority country does not happen often. We were having visitors every Sunday. Every Sunday, there was somebody getting saved. I mean, God was doing an incredible work, and then bam, everything came to a halting stop with COVID. And here's the thing, though, about the work of the Lord. This is why I love mission work. It's God's work, okay? Nothing stops with God. You can't stop the momentum of the Holy Spirit when he's at work. And, of course, you've read our prayer letters, seen our updates, but three months after being in lockdown, and we do lockdown, okay? You you don't know anything about lockdown. We do lockdown there. We were two months in our house. We couldn't leave. I couldn't take my family in the car anywhere. We couldn't go to another city. We were locked down to our city and uh, not allowed to leave. I couldn't take any but more than three people in our car. And as well, because about 75% of people take public transportation, they made mandated masks inside your vehicle. So I would be driving in the open market, through the open market, where hundreds of people are bumping elbows with no mask on or mask around their chin. And if I, alone in my car, didn't have my mask on, the police would pull me over and give me a ticket. So it just, we do lockdown, okay? We did lockdown, and, um, but it was just incredible to see how the Lord was at work, and uh, just story after story of people being impacted and responding. Three months after when we had our first service, the attendance had doubled of how many people there were attending before it locked down, and uh, God is at work. One thing we've learned in missions, and doing the work of the Lord in a place like Senegal, and I think every missionary would agree to this, is that and can you believe it? it's been 15 years we've been serving with BIMI, right? And here at Pastoria, you saw me as a teenager, so it's going to help make you feel older. <laughs> and I don't know why, but every time I come back, people always say, are you getting taller, okay? <laughs> what happens is as you get older, you get shorter, okay? I'm not saying you're old or anything, okay? Please, don't be offended. <laughs> but I'm not getting taller, okay? It's physically impossible at this age, all right? But... The point is, what I've learned after 15 years of serving the Lord at a place like synagogue is that God does not need me. This is God's work. God doesn't need, there is nothing I bring to the table that can add to God's work and his power and his majesty and his splendor, but God delights to use us, humans, frail, weak, sinful. He delights to use us, ordinary people and glorify his son through us and make his son known. I mean, missions is a serious business. It is God's work to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And some kid who grew up in rural Michigan 
going to a Muslim country in West Africa. What on earth do I have to offer? But what we've learned is when God is at work, it's not so much what can I bring to the table to do God's work, but what is God doing and how can I plug in? Because when the flow of the Spirit is at work, when God is moving, it's not about, well, what can I do for the Lord? It's about what can I plug into what God is at work here and get the work of God done. And that is exciting what's happening in synagogue. Pray for Pastor Malik. He is working with a lot of the new converts and discipling them and, and uh, almost every day having Bible studies with different people that are coming, training some young men uh, to become leaders in the church as well. And then uh, later in October, I think I'm preaching again in October, so I don't want to take up too much time because it's a Sunday morning. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of what we'll be doing next year and as we get back into the ministry and transition. Malik is now the lead pastor, and we're going to be expanding our church planning uh, outreach and efforts throughout the country of Senegal. And so we'll talk about that later in what, uh, in what we plan to do. But would you join me this morning in Acts chapter 1? Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. The Bible says, it's a very familiar passage, of course. Luke, the author, by inspiration, records for us in verse 1 of Acts, chapter 1. The former treatise, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto his apostles, whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And almost as if they're saying, okay, <laughs> we're going to receive power. Holy Ghost will come upon us. We'll be witnesses. We're going to get this work done. And are you coming back <laughs> as they stood gazing into heaven? Two angels, two men appeared and stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall, show, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would Guide our hearts by the Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds, help us to understand the truths of your scripture and to put it into practice. Lord, there is nothing we have to offer. We need you to fulfill the work you've called us to fulfill. And so, Father, I pray that Christ will be glorified and decisions that are made 
would advance the work of God to the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So obviously, as you look at the news and you turn on the television and you see the current events and peace treaties in the Middle East and chaos and wars and floods, as you see things happening, of course, if you've studied anything, there's a lot of talk about end times. And as you read end times passages, Jesus emphasized, I was just listening to a message this morning from back in 2005, a preacher talking about the birth pains of the return of Christ, how that there will be an intensification of all these things. And everything we see on the news, all that's taking place, none of it is new, okay? All of it has happened before. And that's the thing about prophecy is that usually when there's a prophecy in the scriptures, there's going to be an immediate fulfillment and then a final fulfillment in the culmination of the Lord's return. But all throughout history, there's been wars, there's been chaos, there's been uh, nation rising up against nation, there's been earthquakes in diverse places. And yet what Jesus told us is that those times, those end times before the Lord returns, there will be an intensification of these sorrows. That's literally birth pains. And I know if you've listened to any preaching in the de past decades, it almost seems as if every decade we look at what's happening and Christians wonder, can it get any worse than it is today? And somehow the world figures out a way every year to make things worse, okay? Things are not going to get better. Things will get worse before they get better. Jesus told us that. And in fact, the theme of the New Testament as you study the epistles is that we are called to suffering. We have been appointed to tribulation and difficulties in this life. In fact, it is through suffering and the fellowship of the suffering of the cross that God prepares us for his return and for his kingdom. And so these things all taking place in the world today is all part of God's plan, but there's an intensification. And so many Christians are allowing their, their emotions to be driven by what's taking place in the world events. We are not to be an anxious people. We are not to be a people who are full of worry. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. There is comfort in knowing that Jesus is returning. The reason it's a blessed hope is because in the midst of persecution and in the midst of trial and difficulties that we endure, Jesus is returning. And Jesus will recompense vengeance upon those who have mistreated the church and God's people. And God says himself, when I come, my reward is with me. And so the Lord is returning. That is a blessed hope. And of course, I know in these days, many are concerned with God's timetable. What's next on God's timetable? What's next on God's calendar? What, what's next on the eschatological, the, the, the end times? What's going on? These disciples had the same question for Jesus. But you see, when you study the scriptures, and especially concerning the church, the scripture is more concerned with what God's plan is in the here and now, right now. In other words, how am I to conduct myself as a follower of Jesus Christ and a member of his church? How am I to conduct myself in the here and now? And the believer in the last days, and I believe we're closer than we've ever been. And that's not just hyperbole. I mean, we're obviously, there's a verse, I love it in the scriptures. Paul says we're now nearer than we've ever been. Not only is that obviously literal because we're advancing in time, but as we see the day approaching, we see this intensification of all that Christ spoke of 
taking place in this world. But the believer is not to be full of anxiety. We know that the Lord is returning. So how do we conduct ourselves? What do we do to prepare? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. There's three areas in our lives. We are to be cultivating a walk with the Lord, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Cultivating a walk with the Lord in truth and in grace, we are to be engaging the uttermost. We are to be taking the gospel to every creature, fulfilling mission. And believers in the end times, as we see the day approaching, we are to be expecting the return of the Lord. Now, I don't mind the phrase, the imminent return of the Lord. We know the Lord's going to return. I prefer the phrase, expectant return of the Lord. We're to be expecting it. And when you're expecting the return, it means there's a way you're supposed to be living. He's coming to reward. And, to, and, and as we live our lives in this age, God is preparing us for that millennial kingdom and eternity when he comes. Peter wrote to us in 2 Peter, if you want to turn there, his second epistle, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Peter writes to us and he said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, both in which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of, the, of, of us the apostles and of the Lord and Savior. So Paul in this verse says, I'm writing the purpose of this epistle. And really this could be the purpose statement of the entire New Testament. These are written to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye might be mindful of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ spoken through the prophets and the apostles. In other words, you are to be constantly living in remembrance of the words of Jesus Christ given in the Old and New Testament. Peter said, I'm writing to stir up your pure minds. We are to be mindful Christians in these days, meaning thinking Christians. We have to be Christians that are constantly engaged in the Word of God, thinking of Scriptures, meditating on Scriptures. That word mind in the Greek has the idea of pure reasoning that is, that is uninfluenced by emotions or the senses, which so often can be subjective. So we are to be engaged in the Scriptures Stirring up our pure minds. In other words, we are to be thinking Christians. We are to be mindful Christians. Peter talks about meditating on the Word of God. Mindfulness. You know what's incredible? If you see online, if you go online any, and you see it's kind of popular in society today talking about mindfulness. Have you heard that phrase? It's become popular in the past five or six years. Middle Eastern meditation and mindfulness. And something happens in a society when you take away the Word of God and you stop emphasizing the Word of God and the stability that the Word of God brings. You see, the Bible says that if you lack wisdom, ask in faith. God promises to give wisdom to all who ask and he will not abrade but let him ask in faith if you don't ask in faith you're like a wave of the sea that wavers in other words one who seeks the will of God by faith engaging the word of God with your mind not being led by emotions or your subjective senses but letting the word of God filter Every event in your life letting the word of God be the filter for all that you believe and every decision you make Fulfilling the will of, will of God as you engage the Word of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
That brings about not only in an individual Christian, but in a society as general where there are people engaging in the values that the Word of God brings, there's stability, emotional stability. And there is a mental stability and health that will come along beside the spiritual aspect that comes along with engaging and obeying the Word of God. But as a culture and a society removes scriptures and removes God from the daily life, then we are left with an empty void. And we're left with higher suicide rates than we've ever seen. And people are trying to fill that with, with whatever they can find. Mindfulness and Eastern mysticism and this and that. Peter said, I am writing unto you to remind you to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which I have spoken unto you, that you engage the word of God. Look, our emotions oftentimes can be subjective. Our senses, our senses even can be subjective. And oftentimes when we are led by our emotions and we are led by our senses, we oftentimes create bias. And when bias and opinion is what is guiding our understanding of scriptures, we come to the wrong conclusions. It's called exegesis for those who are uh, into theology and all of that, who uh, got real smart and went to Bible college and things like that. It's when you are reading into the scripture and the context, your own opinion. We are to be believers who are formed by the word of God, that are being guided by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Peter is encouraging believers to meditate on Scripture, to lay aside any emotionally driven argument to understanding the interpretation of Scripture and to rely wholly on the Holy Spirit of God for the application of Scripture. To make relevant application of the Word of God in these last days, we must engage the Word of God through our minds and by faith and by the illumination and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Look, the Bible is the solution to the need of mankind. There's a lot of churches today and a lot of individual Christians and leaders trying to make the Word of God relevant and palatable to the culture and society in which we live. Look, the Bible is relevant to the true need. The Bible is the solution to the true need of man, whether it's relevant with the culture or not. We are not to stray from the clear teaching of the Word of God because it's not sensible to a modern day culture. We must remain standing firm on the Word of God, the only hope of mankind, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, it is my job to my dying last breath to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Get back into the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Follow the Word of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can fulfill the will of God in this prayer present evil age. The Bible is very clear. We are to be a people that are engaged in the word of God, but you cannot stir up your pure mind until you have first filled your mind and purified your mind by the word of God. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if I abide in you and ye abide in my word, you shall be my disciples indeed. The Bible is not written and understand this, the Bible was not given to us simply to fill our heads with doctrine, okay? Doctrine's essential. Doctrine is, is the glue that holds the unity of the church together. Doctrine and understanding right doctrine and right scripture is important. But doctrine is not an ends in and of itself. The word of God was given to us to introduce Jesus Christ. Doctrine's essential, yes. 
Because without the right doctrine, we don't understand and know who the real Jesus is. There's a lot of Jesuses out there, okay? There's a lot of different opinions and interpretations about who Jesus is. And I, I, it's just incredible. Having worked among Muslims, they're waiting for Jesus to come again, all right? And things are being set up for the Muslim world to receive what the Bible calls Antichrist. We are given the Word of God that we might know Jesus. See, the Bible is a unified book with one message. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord and Savior. We need now more than ever a true understanding of scriptural truth. We need believers now more than ever engaged in understanding the word of God. We need now more than ever young people that will dedicate themselves to studying and knowing and understanding the word of God, not to prove a point, but that we might point people to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that ye might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There is a message of hope that we have that we can give to this world. We are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are living in a temporary world, okay? All these old things are going to pass away. The new is coming. And as we live this life, we are to be shining lights of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be showing the world the power of the gospel in our lives and in our words. Luke said, I have written unto you the gospel, O Theophilus, to explain to you and write to you, he says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. We are to be followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ. In this temporary life in which we are living, this temporary world where all things will pass away. The Bible reminds us that only what's accomplished for Christ in this life is what's going to matter. Only a life lived for Jesus Christ will matter for eternity. Peter continues in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and also the works that are therein shall be burned up. So what are we to do? What's the Christian to do as this end time is coming closer and I believe closer than ever before? What are we to do? Do we stockpile ammunition and food and get in our bunkers and fight this thing out? What is the Christian to do? Peter said, as you see the day approaching, verse 11, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, all of this will be wiped out. America will be no more. Europe will be no more. These things will be dissolved. All the structures and institutions that man has constructed will be dissolved and Jesus will return and his reign will be eternal and we will serve him, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So as that day approaches, do you not see, he says, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall met, melt with a fervent heat. He says, look, do you not see you are to be living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ in all manner of godliness and holiness as the day approaches. We are to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So the question then is, how am I to conduct my life in holiness and in godliness. This is why it's so essential 
that we learn to stir up our minds, to be mindful of the things that the Lord commanded and taught. It's so essential. This is why church is essential. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, in being assembled together, Jesus was in their midst teaching them being assembled together. Verse 3, it says that when Jesus was with them, he taught them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Church is so important and so essential because church, listen to this, is the only eternal, I don't like the word institution, but it's really the only thing that's eternal that will last into the kingdom in eternity. Those who are part of the body of Christ, those who are actively engaged in the local church understand how essential the local church is, not just for this age, but for the age to come. It is at the local church where we find encouragement. It is in the local church where we find the word of God being taught week after week after week that we might stir up our pure minds. You get away from church and you get away from God. You get away from church and you slowly begin to slip. Look, church is essential. Ephesians 2, verse 19 says, We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being our cornerstone. And we as the church are fitly framed together into a building growing into a holy temple. And we as the church, the local body of believers, the Bible says, is a habitation of God through the Spirit. If you are a believer, then you want to be where God is. And I want to be where God is. And God is there where the believers are united together by faith under the preaching of the word of God to hear the word of God and obey and serve and love one another. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. We are a building, a holy temple. Yes, every individual Christian is a temple of God. And yet there is something unique and special when those individuals gather together to fulfill the will of God in the local church. There is something about it that nothing can duplicate and nothing can replace it and nothing can take its place. Church is essential. We need the church we need the assembling of ourselves together. As we see the day approaching, we must be more and more encouraged, our minds more and more stirred up, more and more anchored into the Word of God. As the world is being thrown into chaos and lawlessness, there is a law by which we are to live and to remind one another in which we are to live. That is the law of Christ, and that law of Christ teaches us we are to love God and to love one another and serve one another. So there are three fundamental elements to kingdom living. See, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he taught them things pertaining to the kingdom. We have been given the Holy Spirit of God, the seal of our citizenship for this kingdom that one day will come. And until that day comes, we are to be living in the power of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. In this present age, there are three fundamental elements essential to kingdom living that will grow a church spiritually. Now I'll tell you, the spiritual health of a church is far more important than the numerical growth of a church. Okay. We had a lot of people coming after the, the lockdown and everything, but there were several of them that were a little more interested, some who had come from a more of a charismatic background that were more interested in our music and dancing, which we don't do, okay? They were more interested in that, and there's another church in town that emphasizes that a little more. What I love about the Baptist church, though, in Africa, the Baptists have a reputation, and it's a good one. 
they, people tell me this all the time, what they know about the Baptist church is if you go to the Baptist church, you'll hear the word of God being preached. And that is a testimony we are maintaining. And Malik, I love Malik's leadership. He'll tell people, look, we are not going to spend 45 minutes getting out of breath and uh, dancing around and singing. We're going to spend 10 minutes singing and then we're going to listen and preach to the word of God, okay? That is what builds the church, the word of God. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. We are built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has left for us? It is the word of God. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Why? To guide us into the word of God, to guide us into all truth. And so the word of God is to be a fundamental element of the church. But what does it mean? What are these essential elements to kingdom living? Number one, following Christ, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every individual Christian is to be a disciple. I love this emphasis that Pastor Malik makes all the time with people that come to our church. He tells them, look, you are directly connected to God through Jesus Christ, and you must grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church is not about coming to assemble together just to depend on the leader to help you become a more spiritual person. The pastor is called of God and gifted of God to teach the word of God, but you are directly connected. You see, in, in Senegal and other parts of Africa, there's this thinking in several of the religions, whether it's Islam, Catholicism, that if you, you pay enough money to your spiritual guide and leader, they will get you into heaven. In fact, some families even practice, they'll choose one of their children, send them to learn the Quran, and they will be kind of the mediator uh, for the family to get them into heaven. And so we, we know that there's only two religions, right? Religion of grace and religion of works. Well, there's another element there of a mediator that we don't often talk about. In African contexts and other Eastern contexts, a mediator is very important. And so we as church leaders, as a pastor, Pastor Malik as well, have to constantly be fighting against that tendency to attach yourself to a person more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's emphasizing all the time, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And your walk with the Lord is going to determine the corporate health of the church. Do you understand that? Your personal walk with the Lord and your growing in grace, where you are in your personal walk with God, is determining the potential of the spiritual health of the church. It is essential that you are directly walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, not just depending on church attendance. And when we come together for the church, it's not to be served. That's why people have a problem with church so often. I just don't get anything out of it. Well, you don't go to church to get something out of it. The Bible says we go to serve one another. The reason you don't get anything out of church is because you're looking to get something out of it. That's not what church is about. But those who find satisfaction in any church, no matter how imperfect it is, because you will not find a perfect church from here till eternity comes. But when you dedicate yourself to serving God and saying, I'm going because God has given me gifts and God has blessed me in certain ways so that I, as, as a member of this body, fitly framed in, have a, an essential part to the health of this church. And I go to serve, not to be served, we are followers of Jesus Christ, disciples. An essential element to kingdom living is growth. Are you following Jesus? All that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The Bible says Jesus gave commandments. In Acts 1, that he commanded them. It's so important that we assemble together to encourage each other to follow the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another essential element to kingdom living is fellowship. 
Fellowship as a family. This is the word church, literally in the Greek. And I don't speak Greek, I don't know it, but I do know the word means ecclesia, assembly, gathering. The nature of the church itself is that we assemble and gather. The Bible says they were assembled together in verse 4. When they were coming together in verse 6, making it a habit of assembling and gathering together that we might learn the word of God, that we might cultivate our walk with God, and that we might serve and love one another. And finally, an essential element to kingdom living is fulfillment of mission. We are witnesses, Jesus said. That is, we are called to go. If we are going to be believers that are being prepared for the kingdom of God, for the return of the Lord, we are to be disciples that are ever growing in our walk with the Lord. We are to be uh, church members ever gathering in fellowship as a family, the gathering together of ourselves. And we are to be working through fulfillment of mission that is going, taking the gospel. We follow. What does it mean to follow? It means we learn and we obey all that Jesus did and taught and how that he had given commandments to those whom he had chosen. The Bible says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We have the unique privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The world cannot pick up the Bible and understand the word of God apart from the Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God that has given us an understanding of the scriptures. I love 1 John. The Apostle John said, you, you don't even need me, okay? Most pastors don't like that. I don't I think I've ever heard a pastor preach that message. You don't actually need me. You have the unction of the Holy Spirit, and you know all things. I'm just here to remind you of what you have in the Holy Spirit, that you can understand the Word of God. I saw somebody online the other day write something and say, well, we need to just trust the the the." the scholars and the theological graduates who've studied this thing. No, we don't. God has given these truths to babes. In other words, those who seek by faith, you have just as much potential to know the deep things of God, more so than any scholar that has ever walked the face of this earth. You have the unction of the Holy Spirit. We are followers of Jesus Christ. But it's important to understand that our fellowship is the basis of our fellowship. All right? Fellowship is essential. The Bible says they were assembled together. Jesus was assembled together with them. Our fellowship is essential to our fellowship. If we're going to have true biblical fellowship one with another, you must be following Jesus Christ. Not concerned about your brother or sister's walk with the Lord. Concerned about your walk with the Lord. And when you are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, fellowship is, is deepened. First John, what did John say? He said, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The result of a personal walk with God is deeper unity within the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 11 that he desired to come to teach them, to stir them up of biblical truth, and also to see, and you can look at the passage later, he wanted to see their love for one another increase and abound and in verse 13, he says, to the end, to the purpose that ye may be established, prepared unto every good work for the return of the Lord. In other words, your fellowship is essential to fellowship in the unity of the believers. And that unity is essential for preparation for the return of the Lord. You may be established. In other words, 
Paul in chapter 4 in Thessalonians begins talking about sanctification. But before he gets there, he says, if you're not walking in love one with another, you have no hope of any personal sanctification and growing. John said, if you hate your brother who you've seen, how can you say you love God who you have not seen? And so our personal growth is dependent upon our fellowship one with another. Are we loving one another? And yet our fellowship with one another is dependent upon our fellowship with the Lord. Do you see this, this relationship here? We are to be ever engaged in the word of God, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then engaged in fellowship one with, one with another, growing in love one for another. And then through that love, we are strengthened to grow in our personal walk with the Lord. There's nothing I'd rather be involved in doing than being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, the great wisdom of God. We gather because we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We are united in our allegiance to Christ, to his word, and to his work. We gather because we need to grow, to encourage others, to bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the love of Christ. And our fellowship is a catalyst for our going for the fulfillment of mission, our fellowship in the church, unity in the church is essential to fulfillment of mission. God has commissioned us with a great task. Ye are witnesses, Jesus said. In Philippians 1 verse 5, Paul says that my joy is the fellowship that he enjoyed in the gospel from the first day until now with the Philippian church, seeing the church grow from its infancy stage to maturity and that joy of seeing the gospel at work. There's nothing like it. There's no greater joy than, than back five, six, seven years ago when we started holding services, just the family and I, just sitting down, read a passage. That was it. From going from that to now seeing a vibrant, thriving church, that's the gospel at work. It has nothing to do with any human element, anything we've done. That is the gospel at work, and there's no greater joy than seeing God do his work in bringing people into the kingdom and people turning from idols to serve the true and the living God. Paul said there's joy in the fellowship of the gospel, and this verse 27, he says that fellowship in the gospel will produce a heart for missions. He said, stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Fellowship in the body, unity of the church is essential to fulfillment of mission. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, that we are called to suffer for his name's sake. We are called to what the Bible calls the fellowship of his suffering. A lot of people are worried about the trajectory of our society and the way things are going. And I have no doubt about it. Within the next decade, we're going to see laws passed that will be against the church. We may not see physical persecution. And by the way, we have been sheltered here and blessed in America to have a nation that has been pro-Christian for so long but let's not forget, we are citizens of a greater country. We have a higher calling. I love America. And I love what America has done. And God has prospered and blessed this nation. And in turn, the church in general has returned gratitude by sending missionaries at unprecedented numbers in the history of the world to get the gospel around the world. But those days are winding to an end. We have a higher calling. We are citizens of heaven. Whatever happens to the United States of America, 
I read a tweet the other day of an independent Baptist pastor. He said, and look, fight, stand for truth, okay? Stand for truth. And if that means we still have the liberty through the Constitution to fight for truth and freedom, then do it. But it's inevitable what's coming, okay? God's will is going to be accomplished. One way or another, the will of God is going to be accomplished. I saw one preacher write the other day and said, the survival of Christianity is dependent upon this election. No, it is not. You know in the world today, the majority of Christians, persecution, tribulation, that is the norm. They just beheaded five men in a country not far from us simply because they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their village. Right? That is the norm. And we must be prepared as the church of God to stand for truth as those three Hebrew boys did in that Babylon system who said, look, we are going to stand for truth whether this nation is for us or against us. We will stand for what is right whether God saves our life or not. We will stand for what is right. We will stand on the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no matter what comes our way, he will be with us. We have a higher calling. We shall be witnesses, Jesus said. And even in opposition, what we will find, and I think we're seeing this across our nation, as intensification of opposition and resistance of persecution is directed toward the church, we're going to see a greater knitting of fellowship. We're going to see the church purge, the true church purge, of those who aren't going to hang around for the tough times, and we're going to see a deeper fellowship. And this deepening of fellowship will allow the gospel before the Lord returns to even go out in greater aspects and in greater ways. Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses. Acts 1.8, we know the verse by heart. Acts 1.8 is a response to a question. Okay, Acts 1.8 isn't a command. We talk about the command to go. Acts 1.8 is not a command. Jesus is describing the nature of the believer. And he's describing the nature of the mission of the church. It's a response to a question concerning the execution of missions. See, in verse 6, uh, the disciples, when they were gathered together, asked them, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a great question. When you read the New Testament, you're going to read over and over and over again that we are to be waiting and looking unto the coming of the Lord, that we're to be expecting the return of the Lord, looking for the return of the Lord, preparing for the return of the Lord. This is a common theme of scriptures. The disciples want to know, not what is our job. Jesus already told them, things pertaining the kingdom. You will go and be witnesses. Preach the gospel to every creature. So they want to know, how's that mission that you've given us, what's that going to look like? How do we execute that mission? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you come and reign and rule through Israel? Is that how we fulfill mission? Jesus responds by saying no. World evangelism, look, is God's mission. They understood their mission to go and preach and make disciples of every nation. 
And they knew the prophecy of the Old Testament in Ezekiel where it said that men will come and grab hold of the, the skirt tails of a Jew and say, take us with you because we know God is in Jerusalem and we know God is there and truth is there. And look, in the millennial kingdom, that we'll be bringing people into Jesus, reigning and bringing people to Christ. Look, the gospel doesn't stop, okay? In, in Revelation, it talks about an angel flying around with the everlasting gospel. Even in the millennial kingdom, there will be nations and peoples who do not know God and we will still be taking people to Christ. But in this church age, Jesus responds to this question, what will it look like? How do we execute this mission? And he responds by saying, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which God hath put into his own power. In other words, it is not for you, the church, to usher in and inaugurate the kingdom of God. That's going to be through Israel. And God will reestablish Israel. And Jesus, the root of Jesse, will rule and reign as the king of Israel, the son of David. But he says, this is God's purpose that he has placed in his own power. That word purpose has the idea of power in verse uh, number seven has the idea of purpose. This is God's purposes. And so then he says in verse eight, but ye shall receive power. In other words, the church's mission is that you through the Holy Ghost as the temple of God will take the gospel to the nation. In other words, there's a reorganization of operation. World evangelism is God's mission. And he has called us by nature. We are witnesses. We are witnesses. Jesus told a parable of casting seed. In one of those parables, the seed, he said, are the sons of the kingdom. In other words, God has planted you where you are to flourish and grow in Christ and to be in fellowship with the church. But all of that is to accomplish the mission of God, to grow where you are in your business, in your work, in your school, in your home, in your family. Everything you are, everything you have been led to, this very moment where you are right now is to fulfill the nature of what you are. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. You will go to the nations and penetrate the nations and take the gospel into the nations and Make Jesus known. Sometimes I wonder, why hasn't Jesus come back again? Sometimes I wonder, why didn't Jesus just stick around? Wouldn't it have been much easier if Jesus would have just stuck around and been preaching? Now, there's a few th issues with that. One, he could only be in one place at one time. Would he ever make it to Fostoria? I don't know. <laughs> but another issue is this. When Jesus comes as king, he comes to avenge. He comes to judge. And his judgment is just. And had Jesus remained on earth, I tell you this today, there'd be no hope for us today. You see, there's, there's something we need to understand about God's mission. God's will, his pure and perfect will, is to glorify Jesus Christ. That is the will of God. In its most simplest, understandable, the will of God is to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've glorified you with the glory that you have given me before the world began. And God responded with a loud uh, a voice from heaven and said, I have glorified your name and I will glorify it again. The will of God is to glorify Jesus Christ. And one thing you need to understand about that mission, about that will, is that it will be accomplished one way or another. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no representation 
reputation. Jesus came to this earth and being found in fashion as a man, the perfect God-man, the intrinsically righteous Son of God, lived in perfect obedience, surrendered and submitted to perfectly the will of God. He did what Adam was incapable and could not do. He lived a perfect life, and then he gave himself a sacrifice for our sins, a perfect atonement for sin. He died for the sins of the world, and he brought through his death, the Bible says, because of his obedience to the cross, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You understand, one way or another, every knee will bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, you need to understand something about the will of God. Jesus 100% glorified God through his obedience and death on the cross. My salvation does not bring any more glory to God than what Jesus already brings. The only way I can glorify God is by being in Christ. And when I am in Christ, I am now capable to glorify God. You need to understand, God did not have to save us for his death to be a success as is taught in Reformed theology. God did not need our salvation in order for him to be successful on the cross. He brought 100% glory to God. God could have, the moment Jesus arose from the grave and walked out of that tomb, he was 100% glorified and God could have wiped out every human being and been justified in doing so. But why didn't he? Because Peter tells us the reason the Lord hasn't come back yet is that he's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. The reason the return of the Lord seems delayed and the reason he didn't just wipe us out when he could have been justified and glorified no more or less is because of his great love. His love extended to us in sending Jesus. His love is extended us in delaying his coming even. His love is extended to the world. As long as we have breath in this moment, there is hope for you if you are straying from the Lord. As long as you have breath in this moment, if you're a believer who has turned his back on God and you're not walking with God, as long as you have breath, there is still hope for you to return the Lord. If you are lost today, as long as you have breath right now, the Lord has delayed his coming. When he comes again, the Bible says, he will come in vengeance, in flaming fire, bringing vengeance and judgment upon those who believe not God. You understand, every knee will bow. One way or another, you will bow. But today, in this age, in this time, God extends to us the benefits of the cross, salvation, atonement, forgiveness, and righteousness is extended to us because of his love. He's not obligated to it. God only has obligated himself to fulfill his word and his word tells us his will is to glorify Jesus Christ. He's not obligated to save any one of us. But he extends his love to us. And we as believers, as you grow in your walk with the Lord and understand his great love, you'll begin to understand we have a mission to take that love and that message to a lost and dying world that does not know the Lord. You see, the follower of Christ will actively engage the uttermost. Jesus said, you'll be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Where's the uttermost? We talk about, well, this is our Jerusalem. Not really. 
Even Jerusalem wasn't Jerusalem for the disciples. That wasn't their Jerusalem. They weren't from Jerusalem. Okay. Jerusalem was where they were. Okay. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, you're going to start fulfilling mission where you are, but it's not going to stop from there. It's going to spread, and you're going to keep going until every person has had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God's great love, a follower of Christ will actively engage in the othermost through fellowship of the local church. May God help us to fulfill this until the Lord returns. You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? You know, the closer you walk with the Lord, the more you desire the return of the Lord. But the more you desire the return of the Lord, the more you realize when he comes, he does come to bring vengeance on this earth and judgment. And we must be involved more than ever in engaging those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faithful to the fellowship of the believers as followers of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? You may stand with me. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes, the pianist will come. The invitation time is not just the time of decision, okay? The invitation time is also a time of worship. And during this time of worship, we ask ourselves, is he worthy? Is he worthy of my allegiance to him as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is he worthy of my fellowship? Is he worthy of the fellowship of the saints? Is he worthy of me being engaged in his church, being faithful to his church, serving one another? Is he worthy of me to fulfill the mission that he's commissioned me to fulfill? This is Christ's mission to take the gospel to every creature. Is he worthy of your engagement in this work? And whether you stand there or come forward, whether you kneel or where you stand, we answer and say, yes, he is worthy of this commitment. May God renew this commitment. Take time and pray where you are. As the pianist begins to pray, pray. If you don't know the Lord, I invite you to come. Someone will take a Bible, help you know the Lord. Know that one day every knee will bow. But if you bow the knee when this life is over without receiving Jesus Christ, you will bow the knee to Jesus, but then it will be too late. If you pass through this life, have you never received the Lord by faith? You will confess that he is Lord, but it will be too late. And so the invitation is for you to come now and receive the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church member, are you faithful to the assembling of the believers? Are you faithful to serving one another, bearing one another's burden? Are you a follower of Jesus, walking with the Lord? As long as we have breath, there is hope. 